I pray that you would make me weak, that we might see your strength. I pray you would make me foolish, so that we would see your wisdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two very deep desires that many of us have. Firstly, we want to know that we are significant. We're told that we're unique and special, that we matter and that we're worth it. But we see through the hype. Because if everybody is special, then how does that make me special? And there's this deep need for us to know that we are significant, that we're not just some cluster of atoms that have randomly come together for a millisecond of eternity, surrounded by other clusters of atoms randomly meeting together, again, for their millisecond of eternity. We want to know that we really are significant. And so some of us dream of what I would call the Susan Boyle moment. Do you remember Susan Boyle? She was standing on the stage. They were laughing at her, mocking her. And suddenly it all changed. And they were standing and giving her an ovation. Or it might be the dream of winning £93 million in the lottery. By the way, if that's you, please have a word with me afterwards. <laughs> might be being spotted by the scout, having the boss take us to one side and say, you're marked for big things. We think that those things will show that we are significant. And secondly, I think we want to know that God is there. I think even atheists and agnostics would love to say, yes, well, if there's a God, I really would love to know if he is there. So would many people who call themselves Christians. If only I had irrefutable evidence that God is there, then it would be okay. I mean, in one sense, the two are connected. Because if God is there and God notices us, we are de facto significant. And we hear others tell of stories of amazing coincidences, of how God met with them and touched them. And they just knew that God was really there and that they were loved, a child of God. Well, both of those things happened to the person mentioned in our reading today. Saul lived about 3,000 years ago. He was physically tall, but that was his only distinguishing feature. He wasn't a warrior or politician or priest. He didn't come from an important family or a major tribe. And when we first meet him in chapter 9, he's doing this incredibly significant task. He's looking for some lost donkeys. But two things happen. Firstly, Saul discovers he's significant. In 1 Samuel 10, verse 1, Samuel takes a flask of oil, pours it over Saul's head, and says, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? And it's all completely out of the blue. It really is a Susan Boyle moment. Saul, the son of Kish of the tribe of Benjamin, 
is out looking for donkeys. He, <coughs> he comes to the land of Zoph and he learns that, that Samuel is in the local town. He goes to ask the prophet if he knows where the donkeys are. You did that in those days. Please don't come to the vicar and ask him where you left your keys. In fact, if you could tell me where my keys and my glasses are, I would be immensely grateful. But Saul gets a bit more than he bargains for. Samuel tells him, don't worry about the donkeys, they've been found. He then invites him to a special dinner. The town had put on a dinner uh, because Samuel was in town and the place of honour was obviously Samuel. But Samuel says to Saul, you come with me. And he puts Saul in the place of honour. And the following morning, he anoints Saul king. My friends, the greatest honour, the highest honour that this world can bestow on us will not give us that sense that we're significant. If we're plucked out of obscurity to become somebody famous, it won't satisfy that desire. If we win the lottery or we are given one of the most important jobs or tasks, it won't satisfy that desire. We'll always be looking for the next big moment or thing. Only God, who is bigger than us and beyond us, can satisfy that desire that we have for significance. When a person comes to Jesus, when you put your trust in Jesus and choose to follow him, when you receive him as the Son of God and allow his Spirit to come into your life, you are significant. In John chapter 1 verse 12, we're told to all who receive Jesus, he gave the power to become children of God. And it doesn't matter whether in the eyes of the world you're big or little, whether you're somebody or nobody, when you receive Jesus, you are, as it were, plugged into eternity. And the life of eternity starts to flow through your lives. So you begin to see yourselves and others and creation in a different life, light. You begin to know that you are unique and significant. That you're known by God from before creation began. That you have a glorious and eternal destiny. And that you really do matter. And although you're probably never going to be Prime Minister or be famous, but go on and surprise me, God has a special calling that is for you. You are significant. Oh, and by the way, when you receive Jesus, you also begin to see that others are significant. And secondly, Saul discovers that God is there. God has called Saul to a major task and Saul needs some convincing that this really is God and not just Samuel having a laugh. And so Samuel tells him three things that will happen. First, people will tell him the donkeys have been found. Second, people, pilgrims, carrying some sacrificial offerings will give some of them to him. And thirdly, he'll meet a group of prophets dancing and playing instruments and the Spirit will come onto him and he'll begin to prophesy with them. And what Samuel says happens. 
Now, of course, if something like that happened to us, would we, we would know that God is there. We, we'd never doubt God again. Well, actually, things like that do happen. I think of another Saul. He lived a thousand years later. He, too, was called to an incredibly difficult task. God says to him, I'll show you how much you must suffer for me in my name. And he, too, had an amazing experience of God. He heard God's voice, was blinded, and then healed in the name of Jesus. That was Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. And I would hope that most of us would be able to speak of times when actually in our own experience God was so real that there was no question of doubting him. If you do experience or remember a time like that, try to remember it and recall it. Maybe even jot it down in a journal. We're very good at forgetting when things are not happening and God seems distant, we forget what has happened and start to doubt again. But I'm not sure that the three extraordinary God incidences are the main point of 1 Samuel 10. I'm not sure that they're the main evidence that God is there. I think the main point comes in verse 6, when Saul is told, Then the Spirit of the Lord will possess you, and you will be in a prophetic frenzy along with them and be turned into a different person. And the reason that I think that is significant is because that is specifically repeated two verses later. The promise of God and the evidence of the reality of God is that when a person puts their trust in Jesus, the Spirit will come into us and make us new people. It's not coincidences or God incidences. It is the fact that when a person becomes a believer, they will become a new person. Not immediately, but it will be the Holy Spirit beginning to change us if anyone is in Christ, says Paul, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And the Holy Spirit will show us those areas in our lives that are not right, where we need to change. If you become a Christian and then you start to think, hang on a minute, I'm not really very good there, or you begin to become aware of areas where you need God more and more, then I would argue that is one of the greatest signs or marks of the evidence that God is there. And he'll give us a desire and a delight to serve God. And the Spirit will equip us for service and give us the courage to do what is right. He will grow those lovely fruits, those character traits in us. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and what's the last one? Self is brilliant. He'll give us that assurance that we belong to God, that we can cry out to God as we might cry out to a dearly beloved Father. Even when coincidences don't seem to happen, or prayers are not answered as we wish, or the rubbish happens, 
For it seems we're wading through treacle. We will know God is there. Well, I suspect that few of us here will meet with a prophet who will tell us that we're going to become prime minister or the next big thing or that we're called by God to do some work that this world considers important and for which it gives great honour. And for those of you who are thinking, no, there's no way that would happen to me. After all, we're getting on. May I just remind you that Moses was 80 when he was called by God to do his really significant work. But if God doesn't call us to one of those, if you like, star roles, that might be a good thing. Saul was anointed, given a great task and a new heart. He was persuaded that God was there and God was in this, but he was not obedient to God. Possibly the task or responsibility went to his head. That's another talk for another occasion. All we need to know here is that the story of Saul ends in tears. But it doesn't need to. In the Church of England, we have a thing called the Confirmation Service. At the Confirmation Service, the candidates publicly declare their faith and the bishop anoints them with oil, just as Samuel anointed Saul. The bishop then lays his or her hands on your head and says, Mary, Ray, Brian, whatever, God has called you by name and has made you his own. The anointing with oil and the laying on of hands is a physical expression of a much deeper reality. It's a mark to show that God is there and you matter to him. It's the physical expression of the truth that was carved into the very fabric of the universe when Jesus died on the cross that you are eternally significant. I sometimes like to think that the confirmation service is your coronation service as a prince or princess of heaven. When I was a teenager, confirmation was the expected thing to do. You used to do it quite often. It was irrespective of whether you believed or not. It was something that your parents sort of encouraged their children to do. I'm grateful that is really not the case now. But we've actually gone to the opposite extreme. Very few people come forward now for confirmation, whether as older teenagers or as adults. So if you haven't been confirmed, could I urge you to think very seriously about that and come and have a talk with me if that would help. You see, if you're a believer, then it doesn't matter if you haven't been confirmed. Makes no difference to where you stand in your relationship with God. But I think you're missing out on one of the very precious gifts that God has given his people through the church. It's an outward sign of the inward reality 
that God has given you his spirit, that he has made you a new person, that he has anointed you and called you to a task. It is an expression of the reality that God is there. That, and if, that if you are in Christ as a friend of Jesus, you are unique, honoured, precious. And yes, you are significant. And he loves you. So Father God, thank you for your deep love for us. Thank you that you are there. Thank you that we matter to you. Thank you that you have anointed us and you have called us to a task. In Jesus' name, amen.